Guardian Unlimited. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another small but perfectly formed edition of Islamophonic, the Guardian's weekly window into Muslim life and Muslim strife. In today's show we look at activists and students, but before of that I want to talk about the weekend's events. The flurry of condemnations about the failed bomb plots in Glasgow and London from the Muslim Council of Britain, the British Muslim Initiative, the Muslim Public Affairs Committee, the Ramadan Foundation and the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association has made me realise that the only way to distance myself from people who want to commit acts of mass murder is to publicly denounce terrorism. If I don't, people might mistake me for a terrorist sympathiser. So for what I hope will be a one-off feature, Islamophonic presents... Distancings and Denials. I denounce the events in Glasgow and London even though I have nothing in common with the suspects. My parents are from Pakistan, and Pakistan has a rainy season. I deny having anything to do with the floods wreaking havoc across parts of northern England. I have breasts, and I work for a newspaper. I denounce and distance myself from the breasts on page three of The Sun. But seriously, we have to have a look at this. The Muslim Council of Britain has been on the defensive, condemning terrorism and distancing moderate Muslims from the weekend's events. On the line now we have Osama Saeed from Scotland. He's a prominent blogger and media commentator. He's also the Scottish spokesman for the Muslim Association of Britain. He's had a very busy weekend. Osama, thanks for joining us. No problem. In an interview with The Guardian you said, we are sick of being defined as a community by terrorism and having to answer for it. Um, but here's the thing, Muslims are part of this. We are being defined by terrorism, we have to do something about it, and tackling it head-on by condemning it is the easiest and most obvious thing to do. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely, I think that comment was made in the context of um, us being angry and, and, and frankly furious um, at uh, this happening at Glasgow Airport. Um, and I, I think there's also got to be a recognition that Firstly, you know, we can just as likely be victims of this kind of thing. And in fact, I was at the airport uh, just a couple of hours at that very door uh, before it happened. Uh, but then there's the issue of, you know, I've spent the last, uh, what is it, two and a half days now um, just answering the same questions over and over. And, you know, I'd love to talk about good things. And it's just, you know, you get sick to the stomach of... Uh, uh, of having to deal with this issue because of the bombers, and I don't blame anyone else for asking the questions. It's, it's, it's the bombers that are to blame um, for, the, for the fact that uh, the community is always on the back foot in this, in this manner. It seems that if we don't come out and actually condemn these acts, we open ourselves to the accusation that our silence somehow implies approval and that we're sympathisers. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm surprised that there, there are still people um, that claim that they haven't heard any condemnation um, and I suspect that they're willfully um, not hearing any condemnation. Uh, and I remember, you know, some, some, some articles in the immediate aftermath saying exactly that. Um, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone that hasn't condemned 9-11, hasn't condemned 7-7 or, or, or condemned uh, these actions. And it, it sure is one of the things that the Muslim community can do. Um, we are doing it. We're doing it as well as we can. But, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> uh, we, we're using all the means at our disposal. What does condemnation actually achieve? Uh, in, in minds of ordinary people, and uh, you know, I've, I've just um, 
seen some uh, carnage but, uh, in, in, in a place that, in the north of Glasgow. You know, somebody's just backed their, their car into an Asian shop and uh, set it on fire, and, and the whole shop uh, front has is, is, is been burnt to a cinder. Um, and, you know, most Scottish people aren't reacting like that. In, in fact, you know, as a nation, we, we, we've come together, but you're going to get a mindless minority that will take it to that level. But at the same time, I've no doubt that in the minds of a lot of people, uh, of polite society, there, there are questions burning there about the coupling together of uh, Islam and these actions. And in that respect, that you know, you, you you've got to you you've got to accept that and say join hands and, and talk to as many people as possible. But I mean, it's been the case for two years now. For two years, Muslim groups and Muslim individuals have come out and condemned these actions. Is it the case that every time something like this happens, we have to go through the same process? I mean, why don't people just believe us from the get go? Uh, <laughs> well, as I said, I think that there's a lot of people that, that willfully don't want to believe us. There's a lot of mischief making uh, that goes on out there. Uh, but at the same time, we've got to, we, we do have to be imaginative. And, and one of the things that, that we are doing in Glasgow. Uh, is that we've called a demonstration uh, for this Saturday. Um, and uh, we're asking Muslims to be there, but we're also urging Scottish civic society to come out. And we've got the Deputy First Minister, uh, we've got trade unions, we've got other faith groups and, and church leaders coming to that. And, and the title of it is Scotland United Against Terror. And most people recognise that it's a simple equation. You've got terrorists um, on one hand, on the other hand, you've got the rest of society against them. Now, there was a sense of relief that the main suspects weren't British, as if somehow British Muslims were off the hook. What do you make of that reaction? Um, well, you've got to remember back to July 7th. There was a completely different kind of worms opened by the fact that they were homegrown. Uh, so in that respect, uh, with, with the Glasgow attacks, um, it, it doesn't make it any better, but uh, it certainly doesn't make it any worse. Uh, but also, I think it, it uh, exposes a lot of the, the red herrings that people like to talk about. Um, so, for example, we're, we're, you know, people banging on about uh, integration and veils and, and all this kind of thing. Um, in reality, the, the issue is a lot more complex. And uh, even if we accept that all of these things are a problem, and I don't accept uh, they are a problem with respect to terrorism, but even if we accept that and we sorted it all out, we still face a substantial external threat and, and it's a global problem and it really requires a global solution. Now someone who's been um, on TV and on the radio quite a lot is Hassan Buck. Now he was a recruiter for Al-Mahajirun. He said that the jihadist ideology in Islam needs to be challenged and that Muslims need re-educating but he didn't come up with any ideas about how this could be done. Have you been thinking about this at all? Um, I, I, I think uh, Hassan had uh, an inflated sense of his own self-importance in the 1990s. I, I think he's under the impression that uh, a lot of people were listening to him and that while he's moved on, we've not moved on. Uh, in, in reality, the, the Muslim community is uh, middle of the road. Uh, they do take the balanced path. And uh, to kind of go on the media and always talk about this, I, I'm actually surprised that given his previous views that he can be taken seriously as a commentator at all. I mean, for example, would it work on somebody like Hassan, who once recruited for a radical group? I mean, if an imam said to him, you know, my son, I know it says this in the Quran, but you can't apply this teaching in the 21st century because it's just wrong. Well, this, well, this is precisely the point. There, there was no reasoning with people, and, and there, there probably still isn't. But I think actually there's two distinct categories here. 
I think one of the, the principal taunts that I heard about the likes of Hassan in the 1990s was that, you know, w what would you call people that stand around calling for jihad, but they don't actually go for jihad themselves? Well, they're called hypocrites. And, you know, you, you get these tub thumpers and you still get the tub thumpers, but, you know, they are a problem. But actually, I think the, 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 the real dangerous problem lies in the people that, that aren't going on the meet and making a spectacle of themselves, like the ones uh, in, in Glasgow on Saturday. They, they're under the radar. And I think the, the, the real terrorists out there will be keeping silent, keeping to themselves, and, and they've got their plans and uh, they don't need to shout about it in the media. Osama, thanks for joining us. No problem. Leaving behind our tub thumpers and terrorists, what kind of debate is there about moderate action and political engagement that can be taken by Muslims? Well, City Circle is a London-based organisation that brings together the intellectual great and good. It meets every Friday, and last week they were discussing Islamic activism. That's timing for you. The panel included Inayat Banglawala from the Muslim Council of Britain and former member of Hizb Tahrir Hassan Salimi. But was it connecting with mainstream young Muslims? And in our generation, as our generation has, has if you like, uh, the 90s generation has come of age, um, do we have the confidence to be critical, if you like, constructively critical about some of the models of Islamic activism that our elders uh, bequeathed to us instructed us in and told us to operationalize. After the debate, I caught up with some of the younger people in the audience to find out what they thought. It was interesting. I realized that a lot's gone on in the last 20 years. I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised because I think the situation um, is still really concerning today. So You said that you've been stopped and questioned three times and you don't even have a beard. I mean, is that one of the things that you're concerned about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, the first thing happened sort of three months ago um, and the most recent happened this afternoon. Yeah, no, I'm serious. And for me, that's an issue that has to be dealt with because it doesn't work. Um, I just don't see how, if you target the moderates like me and accuse us of terrorism, how you're ever going to get the hardliners to change the way they think. I mean, it angers me when I get stopped and I'm sort of blamed for what Muslims do. No, that's not the solution. I just can't see how that works. Is there any group or individual that sort of strikes a chord with you? Having heard, I don't know how many representatives there were up there, not a single one of these strikes a huge accord with me because the only group that I can actually relate to is called the Lokahi Foundation because they don't come at it from an angle that I'm a Muslim. It comes from an angle that, look, you know what, we're all the same and it's as if a lot of these organizations want to preach that but their starting point is where Muslims are most different from the West and it's almost self-defeating. What were your expectations of this event and did you learn anything? Uh, pretty much uh, nil. To be honest, uh, I, I knew that people were involved in the political movements, uh, but I was looking for some fresh ideas, real pragmatic steps, a uh, little bit of energy and real connection with uh, mainstream Muslims. And even if you're talking about intellectually, politically, uh, I still didn't get any insight into how we can show uh, Britain, uh, show the media that actually uh, being Muslim isn't too bad. You don't sound very happy. I know I am. Uh, City Circle's a really good organisation. They're trying hard, but they're getting caught up into this sort of talking shop. Let's see some pragmatism. Let's see some practical steps. What was your point that you made to the panel? Well, it's, it was about representation, and I just felt that Islamic groups give an impression that they represent the Muslims, uh, the wider Muslim community, but I feel that they haven't really got a legitimate mandate. But I feel that they should build that before they represent us. What does um, Islamic activism mean to you? 
I think that we can be active Muslims in a British society. If that means Islamic activism, then we can define it that way, but not necessarily having to be in an Islamic group. But we can join Greenpeace, Help the Aged, Centerpoint, and, uh, and many of the other organizations and uh, make an Islamic influence uh, in British politics and society. Would you describe yourself as an Islamic activist? No, I wouldn't, know. So why did you come here tonight? I just think it's really important to broaden your mind, even if you're not perceived to be really religious or Islamically minded, it's good to just open yourself up to sort of new thinking and, you know, just to see if something resonates, I suppose. Did anything resonate tonight? I think a lot of the questions that the sort of people had hit home more than a lot of the kind of panel discussion because it was just more relevant and you know it, it just seemed to hit a nerve like for instance the guy from Glasgow that just sort of said well actually the panel you guys seem to us like you're quite extreme and you know I thought it was really interesting because it just kind of it's the common man speaking about their own problems so. Uh, he said there were lots of phrases that they were using and they all seem to know each other and do you think that there's a disconnect as well? Definitely. I mean, there was a sense of um, sort of, they're obviously very learned, observant, intellectual people. And there was a sense of sort of uh, a bit of cronyism about the different groups and their histories, etc., which is kind of not relevant to a person who's just saying, do you know what, I feel angry and I'm not quite sure why. Really, the, the, the background and the history of these groups isn't kind of that relevant. And I think there was a little bit of intellectualism and a bit of, you know, who could use the word utopia the most, which, you know, was quite... And, and, and it, but, it, but it was interesting because they are, as I say, they're learning, they're de dedicated their lives to learning more about the religion and culture and politics and theology. So I'm not going to knock that. They're, you know, I would love to have their minds, but I think it's applying that to the sort of middleman, really. Were you around for the guy who said that he'd been stopped and searched three times? Yes. A again, it was kind of, I don't know if it was really answered because I kind of understood his question, but then what, whatever came back from the panel, it was quite difficult to s decipher what the what the advice was to someone who's facing that on a daily basis in their life so I'd, I'm not sure I'm not sure if his question was answered really do you think there needs to be some kind of movement that is applicable for non-practicing Muslims or Muslims who kind of obey the basic rules but aren't theological maybe and don't go on Jamaat and don't Oh, definitely, because I think that's probably the, the, the main body of young Muslims is, you know, that they feel a bit disenfranchised by the people that are very religious and intelligent and very into it, and the ones on the other side of the scale that are kind of totally lost all sense of culture roots. So I think definitely this, that there needs to be a voice for that middle band. You're very clever. Maybe you could start this movement. Um, <laughs> maybe. You never know. Despite the plethora of Islamic groups, it seems nobody's reaching out to your man on the street, like our friend from Glasgow or the young lady I spoke to. There's a gap between the intense political and theological discussions of groups and the concerns and questions of younger, less practising Muslims. They want to be involved too, but at the moment there's little out there for them. One way of getting involved in Islamic activism is on campus. The Federation of Student Islamic Societies, FOSIS, has had its annual conference. One of the speakers was Bill Rammel, who until very recently was Higher Education Minister. Mr Rammel, if you remember, was calling on universities to spy on Muslims to root out extremists. He also supported universities that banned women from wearing veils. FOSIS member and medical student Ryan Alduri told me about the conference and about the delegates' response to Bill Rammel. I think students found the session with Bill Rammel um, a bit disappointing at times because 
even though they were asking quite direct questions, they were getting very vague political answers. So, for example, on the issue of extremism on campus, students were concerned that the evidence that the DFES was bringing to justify the caution that they're encouraging, even within what they call a small group of people. And Bill Rammel really couldn't comment on the evidence. Similarly, he, didn't re he wasn't able to answer any questions with regards to the MI5 spying on campuses. So it was very frustrating for students to have the opportunity to speak to someone from within the government but still not be able to get any answers to their questions and their concerns. When, for example, the DFES or the Home Office or the um, intelligence services say that there's extremism on campus, what effect does that have on organisations like FOSIS when they say, oh, you need to spy on people who look Muslim or you need to spy on people who are politically active? What's the response generally? Um, there's concern within the Muslim student community because they want to get involved in their universities, they want to have a positive impact, but the problem comes when they're restricted, when they're told that you might be monitored and it puts students off getting active, anything within the university outside their academic realms. So how do you overcome that? We've tried to encourage students as much as possible to um, get involved but also tell them that you know we there is nothing to hide and that's that's the fact even though the DFES are suggesting that there might be extremism um, we just want to emphasize that there isn't any evidence for that so we just like to encourage students as much as possible to get involved and we're not doing anything out to the ordinary we're just being students we're thinking we're being creative obviously without having a presence on every single campus you can't deny that there may be extreme elements within a student body well, it depends what you define as an extreme element. I mean, being a student, part of being a student is being able to think and explore and experiment um, and, uh, and have, have ideas and develop your own thinking. So to say that there may be extreme elements is, is really a, a dangerous area. And, and the point of higher education isn't only to develop you academically, but it's also to get you thinking. I mean, generally, young people are regarded as being politically apathetic, but that doesn't seem to be the case with Muslims. However, when they become politically involved, then they're deemed to maybe have extremist tendencies. Would you agree with that? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And, and that's what we're trying to say. There isn't really, I and mean, we haven't been presented with any evidence. There's been a lot of anecdotal evidence, but nothing um, that's hard and fast. And so it is very unfair um, on Muslim students. But, you know, we'll try and encourage Muslim students as much as possible and students in general to overcome this political apathy. In the last couple of years do you think the focus on Muslim students has brought Islamic societies together? Has it kind of created a resurgence if you like? From, from what I've seen in FOSIS annual conferences it is always an opportunity for Islamic societies to come together and share their experiences because at the end of the day Islamic societies across the country are focusing on the same thing and they're trying to address the requirements of Muslim students so by bringing them together we give them an opportunity to share their ideas and try and learn from each other's experiences. I appreciate it's been a meaty show so to cleanse the palate and refresh your insides we have what I hope will be an occasional feature. Islamophonic proudly presents my favourite mosque. Uh, favourite mosque abroad is the Karoyin in Fez due to a study trip there in August 1998. But in the UK, for a sense of history, it's the Shah Jalal Mosque in Woking. Well, my favourite mosque is the one I use when I'm at work, a small windowless but carpeted basement of a Turkish cafe in the city. Around 50 professionals forget dunya and dignity and squeeze in for Juma. Not so much feet to feet, more feet to bum. 
The kutba is given by a lovely imam in broken English, but it does the job and it's time efficient. I'm building a new synagogue called Givat Svi in Guildford that will be housed in the same building as a new mosque and chapel. I like the style of service at KOE in New York, the multiculturalism and vibrancy of Walford Road in East London, and especially the beauty of the Jubilee Synagogue in Prague. That was my favourite mosque, with of course a guest appearance from my favourite synagogue. Many of your suggestions came from Facebook, so thank you very much. I'm still getting poked and I quite enjoy it, so keep it up. Now, Allah never sleeps, but Islamophonic does. We're taking a few weeks off and heading for the sun in our burkinis. When we come back, we'll be camping with Muslims, like dancing with wolves and just as hairy. Think of all those beards. Until then, this was Islamophonic. It was presented by me, Riaz Akbar, and produced by Matt Hayward. Jazakallah for listening, and until next time, stay halal and happy holidays wherever you are.